On December 25th, Christians around the world will gather to celebrate Jesus' birth. There will be special religious services, joyful carols, brightly wrapped gifts, festive foods. All of these, of course, characterize the modern Christmas celebration. But just how did this Christmas festival originate? And more specifically, how did December 25th come to be associated with the date of Jesus' birth? Welcome to Hidden Headlines, episode 48. I'm Brian Sussman. More on me at my website, briansussman.com. Also Facebook, Brian Sussman Show. Twitter, Brian underscore Sussman. And away we go. Christmas, it can be overwhelming. And for that reason, I can understand why this is often one of the most stressful times of the year for so many people. But does it really have to be this way I mean, certainly a lot of the stress comes from Madison Avenue, you know, the, the ad agencies and the marketeers pushing us to buy, 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 and then give, give, give on Christmas Day, December 25th. Now, in this podcast, we're going to dive into what's known about the origins of the Christmas celebration. The Bible actually offers few clues. Celebrations of Jesus' birth are not mentioned in the Bible. There's no date given. The time of the year is not completely clear. We do have the biblical reference to the shepherds tending their flocks at night when they hear the news of Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That could suggest a lot of interesting things. And by the way, in the next episode, I reveal a mind-blowing theory that I hope you'll listen to. But in the meantime... We look at extra-biblical evidence. This is stuff that's not in the Bible from the 1st and 2nd century, and there's really nothing there. Interestingly, there's a man named Origen of Alexandria who lived from 165 to 264. He's a church father who actually mocked various Roman celebrations involving birth anniversaries. He dismissed them as pagan. Now, by sincerely marking a day, as we do, to acknowledge Messiah's entry into the world, are we engaging in paganism? Of course not. In fact, I think sincere followers of Jesus have done an awesome job in terms of trying to make sure that people know Jesus is the reason for the season. But again, it seems the early followers of Jesus were more interested in something else, his sacrificial death and resurrection. In fact, in each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we are shared, or I should say, those books of the Bible share with us detailed information about his death and resurrection, which corresponds perfectly with the Jewish observance of Passover, when the sacrificial lamb is slain for the sins of the people. This would have occurred in the Hebrew month of Nisan, which generally aligns with March or April, and that's when we have the Easter celebrations commemorating Jesus' resurrection from the dead. In fact, this is even implied in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8. For indeed, Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we know for certain that celebration, that commemoration is in the Bible.
But getting back to the birth of Jesus, some of the earliest New Testament writings are by the Apostle Paul and Mark. They make no mention of Jesus' birth. Now, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, well, they provide well-known but somewhat different accounts of the event, although neither specifies a date. In the second century of the Common Era, further details of Jesus' birth and childhood are related in some non-biblical writings. One is known as the Infancy Gospel of Thomas, and the other is called the Proto-Gospel of James. These texts, again, they didn't make it into the New Testament, but they do provide everything from the names of Jesus' grandparents to the details of his education, but even then, not the date of his birth. So by way of history, for again, the first 200 years after his resurrection, the date and celebration of his birth don't seem to be a big deal. Finally, in about the year 200, a Christian teacher in Egypt, Clement of Alexandria, makes reference to the date Jesus was born. According to Clement, several different days had been proposed by various Christian groups. Surprising as it may seem, Clement doesn't mention December 25th at all. In fact, here's what he says. There are those who have determined not only the year of our Lord's birth, but also the day. And they say it took place in the 28th year of Augustus and in the 25th day of the Egyptian month of Pashan. So according to our calendar, that would be May 20th. And he goes on to say, And treating of his passion, with very great accuracy, some say it took place on the 16th year of Tiberius, on the 25th of Famenoth. I believe that's how you pronounce it which would be, again, on our calendar, March 21st. And others on the 25th of Paramuthi, April 21st. And others say it was the 19th of Paramuthi, April 15th. Further, others say, and this again is Clement of Alexandria, further, others say he was born on the 24th or 25th of Paramuthi, which would be April 20th or 21st. So here are some very specific writings by Clement of Alexandria about the year 200 regarding his death, his passion, and his birth. But none of those dates seem to align with anything we're acknowledging today. Although I would have to say that the death dates are probably very close to the Passover at that particular time. So again, 200 years after Jesus, there was some interest but great uncertainty involving his birth. So now we fast forward to the 4th century. We find references to two dates that were widely recognized and apparently also observed regarding Jesus' birthday. So now we're in the 300s. December 25th is recognized in the Western Roman Empire and January 6th in the East, and by the way, the modern Armenian church to this day, and they would be a part of the Eastern uh, sect of Christianity, they celebrate Christmas to this day on January 6th. But again, for most Christians, it's the 25th. So we start to see this taking place in the 300s. What was going on back then? Well, as for that mention of the December 25th date, 
It comes from a mid-4th century, about the year 350, Roman almanac that lists the death dates of various Christian bishops and martyrs. The first date listed, December 25th, is marked Natus Christus in Bethlehem, Judea. Translated, Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea on December 25th. Also, about in the year 400, a man named Augustine of Hippo mentions a local dissident Christian group known as the Donatists in North Africa, who also acknowledged the 25th as the date of Jesus' birth. A little bit about the Donatists. They're fascinating. They challenged Catholicism, which was on the rise at this time. Donatism taught that Christians were called to personal purity and that holiness was proved in one's faithfulness in enduring persecution. And there was a lot of persecution going on back then. The Romans were on a tear. The Donatists considered theirs as the only true church, and they refused to acknowledge the practices of other Christian sects, particularly those involving Catholicism. In AD 303, Emperor Diocletian mounted a severe persecution against all Christians. It's You read the history on this, and what was done to these Christian people is just mind-boggling. Donatism eventually died out in the 5th century, but it's interesting, the Donatists were perhaps the first on record to acknowledge December 25th as the day of Jesus' birth. It doesn't say they celebrated the date, it just says that they recognized that date as the day in which Jesus was born. So again, almost 300 years after Jesus was born, we finally have some people acknowledging his birth in midwinter, But again, no one's celebrating it. So when did the celebrations begin on December 25th? There are actually two theories about that today. One's fairly popular, the other less often heard outside of scholarly circles. And the one that's heard, you know, in these scholarly circles is a very ancient tradition. The most popular theory is that the 25th was borrowed from pagan celebrations. You've probably heard this before. The Romans had their midwinter Saturnalia festival in late December. And the barbarian peoples of Northern and Western Europe also had holidays at about the same time. And then to top it off, in the year 274, the Roman Emperor Aurelian established December 25th as a day to worship the sun in the sky. It was called Sol Invictus. Christmas, this theory goes, is really a spin-off from these pagan solar festivals. Regarding this theory, questions arise. Did early Christians deliberately choose these dates to celebrate Christmas in order to encourage the spread of Christmas and therefore Christianity throughout the Roman world? I mean, after all, If Christmas looked like or aligned with a pagan holiday, perhaps more pagans would be open to both the holiday and the God whose birth it celebrated. Or or was it the Roman authorities seeking to pacify 
this growing and, quite frankly, threatening Christian population. They were threatening not because they were violent people, but because (laughs) they were growing in such large number. However, this theory of Christmas's origins also has its problems because it's not found in any ancient Christian writings. It's not until the 12th century that we find the first suggestion that Jesus' birth celebration was deliberately set at the time of pagan feasts. So a a lot of years, many hundreds of years transpire before someone starts to connect the dots between paganism, the 25th, and Jesus' birth. There is a marginal note on a manuscript involving a biblical commentator whose name is Dionysius Bar Salabi. It states that in ancient times, the Christmas holiday celebrating the birth of Jesus was actually shifted from January 6th to December 25th so that it fell on the same date as Saul Invictus. Saul Invictus. That, it was a big deal, Saul Invictus. In fact, Roman coins from the 3rd and 4th centuries are inscribed with the words Sol Invicto Comitai, which means committed to the invincible sun. So the birthday of the unconquered sun was celebrated at the Roman festival of Solus Invicti on December 25th. The Romans believed Sol, the sun god, died on December 21st before being reborn three days later on December 25th died and resurrected, kind of like Jesus. And he was resurrected on the 25th. December 21st, and the three days that follow, by the way, are obviously the shortest, and therefore the darkest days of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. So all this kind of ties in together to the mystery surrounding those dates. Now, the Roman Emperor Constantine, who, by the way, eventually legalized Christianity in ancient Rome— is a big part of this whole story. According to the story, he was preparing for a great battle, and this is historically recorded. He was preparing for a great battle with Maxientius to gain control of the western portion of the Roman Empire, and he was considering what power to rely on for protection. He could turn to all the many deities in the Roman Empire, or or he could turn to the single god, that was being presented by all of these new Christians, this growing population of Christians, which again were a threat to the empire. So he decided to take the Christian route. Now, was this a real conversion or was this political? I guess we'll never know. But he claimed to see a radiant cross above the sun that was scripted with the words, in hoc sino vinces, which means by this sign conquer. In fact, that slogan, in hoc signo vinces, was painted on the shields of everyone in the army prior to entering the battle. Now, Constantine's forces prevailed, his his enemies retreated, and at the end of the day, Constantine was crowned the victor. The victor, sol invictus. He, Constantine, associated his victory with the Son, but was he referring to the Son of God or the Son God? 
Well, most would agree it was the sun god. But it's interesting, shortly thereafter, he legalized Christianity. And again, some say he became a follower of Jesus himself. But others contend his adoption of Christianity in the Roman Empire was more likely a matter of political strategy than religious conviction. So this debate has been going on for 2,000 years. Was Constantine a believer or was he not? And what about Christmas and the 25th and Sol Invictus and all of that? Well, let's scoot forward to the 18th and 19th centuries because finally we have biblical scholars beginning to claim that because the early Christians didn't know exactly when Jesus was born, they simply assimilated this pagan solstice festival on December 25th, Sol Invictus, for their own purposes, claiming it was the time of Messiah's birth, and they celebrated it accordingly. And again, perhaps as an act of evangelism. So what about the Christmas tree? Or, as my Jewish father used to say, the Hanukkah bush. (laughs) I can hear him now. Uh, This probably does reflect pagan customs, which were borrowed much later when Christianity was expanding into northern and western Europe. Indeed, the Christmas tree, you could look it up for yourself. It's easy to find. It's been linked with late medieval Druidic practices, And of course, when you mention that, people right away say, see, December 25th, it's all pagan, it's all pagan. But there are problems with this as well, because as I mentioned earlier, the December 25th date, we see this popping up in history in the mid-300s, when Christians were clearly not borrowing from pagan traditions. In fact, to be sure, Christians were a persecuted minority and they were greatly concerned with distancing themselves from pagan religious observances and sacrifices and games and holidays, etc. So what changed for the persecuted Christian church? Constantine. When, again, he was said to have converted to Christianity around the year 312, and again, if it wasn't an actual conversion, he was certainly catering to this growing Christian population. In fact, in fact, Christianity would become the official religion of the Roman Empire later in the 4th century, right around the year 380. And so from the mid-4th century on, we do find Christians deliberately adapting and Christianizing, if you will, pagan festivals. Not unlike Christian churches today, for example, Halloween. Well, we all know that's a pagan get-together. But what do Christian churches in many cases do today? They don't celebrate Halloween. They don't even recognize it. Instead, they have their harvest festival. So it's a way to take that secular pagan holiday, gathering, acknowledgement, whatever you want to call it, and turn it to glorify God. In fact, one famous proponent of this practice was Pope Gregory the Great, who in a letter written in 601 to a Christian missionary in Britain, recommended that local pagan temples not be destroyed, but converted into churches and that pagan festivals be celebrated as feasts to the Christian martyrs. 
But again, that's the year 601, the start of the 7th century. So let's get back to December 25th. As we've seen, the Donatist Christians in North Africa were on record acknowledging it sometime in the 300s. But there is another way to account for these origins of Christmas on December 25th. In fact, in the minds of some, the key to dating Jesus' birth may lie in dating his death in relationship to the Jewish Passover. So for this, we go back to the year 200 in the Common Era. Tertullian of Carthage reported the calculation that the 14th of Nisan, that was the day of the crucifixion according to the Gospel of John, in the year of Jesus, in the year Jesus died, was equivalent to March 25th on the Roman calendar. March 25th is nine months before December 25th. This would later be recognized as the Feast of Annunciation, the commemoration of Jesus' conception. Thus, Jesus was believed by some to have been conceived and crucified on the same day, and then exactly nine months later, Jesus was born on the 25th. I know that connecting Jesus' conception and death in this way certainly seems odd to most modern readers, but I guess it does reflect ancient and medieval understandings of the whole of salvation being bound together, birth, death, resurrection. It may be above my pay grade, but here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. The Bible, particularly the New Testament, is one of the most authenticated manuscripts, books, if you will, of all ancient documents. So what does the Bible say? Well, let's go there. First, we know that shepherds were in their fields watching the flocks at the time of Jesus' birth. It's in Luke chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Shepherds were generally not in the fields during December, as I mentioned earlier. Now, Luke's account might suggest that Jesus was born in the spring or maybe even the summer or fall, since December is cold and rainy in that part of the world. And it's unlikely that the shepherds would have been out. They would have been seeking shelter for their flocks at night. Second, second, Jesus' parents came to Bethlehem to register in a Roman census. That, too, is in the second chapter of Luke in the New Testament. Such censuses were not taken in winter. Why? Well, the temperatures dropped below freezing. Roads were in poor condition. Taking a census under such conditions would have been self-defeating. You wanted as many people to participate as possible. You wanted to eliminate barriers to entry. So what about this particular angle from the Bible? Think about this one. Jesus' birth. Perhaps it was in the fall of the year. And I say that looking at the conception and birth of John the Baptist. John's mother was Elizabeth. We read in the book of Luke chapter 1, she was in her sixth month of pregnancy when Jesus was conceived. We can determine the approximate time of the year Jesus was born if we know when John was born. Well, here's another little clue. John's father, named Zacharias, was a priest who served in a division of priests who were descendants of Abijah. We also read that in the first chapter of Luke. Historical calculations indicate that this course of service that Zacharias was involved in corresponded in June of that year. 
it would have been in June of that year. So it was during this time. In fact, some say it was June 13th through the 19th. It was during this time of temple service that Zacharias learned that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a child. After he completed his service in the temple, he traveled home and Elizabeth conceived. Now, assuming John's conception took place near the end of June, adding nine months would bring us to the end of March as most likely the time for John's birth. If you add another six months, because that's the difference in age between John and Jesus, we also read that in the book of Luke, that brings us to the end of September as, according to the the reasoning that I'm using here, which is, by the way, not original, as the likely time of Jesus' birth. So end of September, end of December, does it really matter when Jesus was born? I think not. I think the better question is, why was he born? So let's look at what the Bible says. Let's go to the book commonly referred to as the Old Testament. And in that book, we find Micah, the book of Micah, chapter 5, 2, says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village in Judea, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. Now, Micah was an 8th century B.C. prophet. Micah describes a wonderful time in the city of Bethlehem where birth would be given to a ruler greater than David. He also prophesies of a time when Jerusalem will become the religious center of the world. And of course, all of this is fulfilled in the book of Matthew, chapter 2. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star as it arose. We've come to worship him. Also in the book of John, chapter 7, we read, For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. We also read that Messiah would be born of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7. All right, then, the Lord himself will choose a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God is with us. Isaiah chapter 9. For a child is born, a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And these will be his royal titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah wrote eight centuries before Jesus was born. And of course, the fulfillment of this can be found in the book of Matthew chapter 1. As he considered this, he fell asleep, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. This will be Joseph, son of David. Joseph, Mary's betrothed. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary, for the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people of their sins. 
All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, that prophet being Isaiah. Psalm 22 says this regarding Messiah's death by crucifixion. My life is poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like the sun-baked clay. Goes on to say they have pierced my hands and feet. Zechariah chapter 12 says, again, these are from the Jewish scriptures, commonly known as the Old Testament. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer in the family of David and all the people of Jerusalem, and they will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. We read in Isaiah 53 that Messiah would die as a sin offering. He was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. All of us have strayed like sheep. We have left God's paths and follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. He was counted among those who were sinners. He bore the sins of many and interceded for sinners. Again, this is Isaiah chapter 53. And then we read that Messiah would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah 53 says he had done no wrong. He never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. And we know that to be true as well. Matthew chapter 27. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who was one of Jesus' followers, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long linen cloth and placed it in his new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. And it was from this tomb that Messiah was raised from the dead. It was prophesied, for example, in the book of Psalms, chapter 16, we read, For you will not leave my soul amongst the dead. That's talking about Messiah. Psalm 30, verse 3, You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You see, it was God's plan from before the world began that Jesus would come to earth and be crucified as a holy and final offering for our sins because of God's deep love for each one of us. It's so great. He has provided a way of salvation. And you know what's awesome? It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, or even what you've done. If you surrender to him, he will change your life in this lifetime and provide you with eternal life in the life to come. He loves you. He has a plan for you, even you. Heck, even me. Jesus came as a king. He came as a redeemer. He came as savior. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to give his life as a ransom for many, to save us from our sins, our wrecked and wicked ways. He came to establish a future kingdom of peace and righteousness and salvation for all those who believe. Yes, this world is messed up. Yes, there are times when life sucks. There's no question about that. But you know, in order to have good, you have to have bad. Otherwise, we'd just be a bunch of robots saying, I love God. I love God. No, 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 no. We have to make a choice. There's the bad. There's the good. What do you want to choose? Now, I'm not sure where you are in terms of faith and belief, but I will tell you, 
All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is simply say, God, take over. It's really that simple. And then get to know him better. Spend time with him in conversation. We call it prayer. Get to know him via his word, the Bible. Pick it up. Read it. There's going to be stuff you don't understand, but that's okay. Because there will be stuff that you do understand. And then hang out with people of like-mindedness. And with that in mind, can I just say it? Merry Christmas. Now, coming up in the next podcast, episode 49, what about those shepherds watching the flocks by night who were confronted by that angel who spoke to them of Jesus, the Lamb of God being born that very night? What if I told you those shepherds were tending the lambs used for sacrifices in the Jewish temple? In other words, the baby Jesus the lamb that would be slain for the sins of the people was actually born in the same location of the temple lambs? Stay tuned for that podcast. In the meantime, I'm Brian Sussman. Thanks for listening.